Hello, hello. My name is Keisha Chung. And my name is Muna Traore. And welcome to the Collective Culture Creative Conversations podcast. Where we chat with different BIPOC creatives and community leaders we love and admire. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Hi, welcome to July. It's July. It's I'm happy. I love it. I love how warm it is. I love that everyone is outside. Toronto is finally opening up, so it's been lovely. But I want to know how you're doing, Muna. Let's check in with you. What's what's going on? Well, I am not in Toronto. I am in Winnipeg. I am here currently filming a television show called The Porter. Um, I'm doing a lot better. I've had a really rough month with the passing of my grandmother and just sort of like the whirlwind of going into this job and trying to process my grief Mm -hmm. and just, I don't know, manage everything that I need to manage. But, um, things are becoming easier day by day. Mm-hmm. And I've had some really great conversations with people, listen to some really great podcasts. And I think that grief is just something you learn to live with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's something, not that it's new, it's just different. Because the last, last time you know, someone really important to me passed was when I was, I think about 14 or 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, me at the grand old age of not going to (laughs) say dealing with it is, um, very different because my relationship with my grandmother was so, um, mature and pronounce like we were really close mm-hmm. but um I'm able to do more things I'm not as emotionally exhausted as I was and you know it's not weighing on me every single day the way that it was when it first happened so I'm noticing progress mm-hmm. my therapist has also been on vacation for two weeks mm-hmm. which has been very difficult um but Still, I rise. I'll be fine. That's wonderful. I'm happy to hear that you're doing better and that you're finding ways to cope. And yeah, and I'm also so happy for you that you're shooting and you're doing all the things because it's lovely to see you thriving. So thank you. Yeah, you. And how are you, Keisha? We haven't caught up in a while. I know. Um, I'm good. I started my new job. I started working at Bell Media this month. Well, last month. And um, it has been like I don't think I've ever been so tired and so happy to be tired in my life. Like I'm genuinely yeah. exhausted, but I love it here. Like I love my job. I love all the people I work with. I'm learning so much and it's just the beginning. Like it's, it's wild. So I'm really happy. I'm, you know, my anxiety's down, like my friends, I've, I think COVID really filtered a lot of the relationships out of my life that I didn't want to give energy to anymore. And it it really showed me like, who's on my side, you know what I mean? So it'll do that. Yeah. Like it just, I, I was saying to, to Anna that like, you know, there's very few people over the past little while that like have really kind of showed up in moments for me. And it's been it's been like very eye opening, you know, so I'm paying attention to that. I think that that's one of the hugest things that I've experienced in the last month mm-hmm. is with the passing of my grandma mm-hmm. is seeing how people have or haven't showed up for me. And being very surprised at who 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 did and who didn't, and how, mm-hmm. and just taking note and returning the same energy back. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's it, right? It's like it's not about cutting people. Well, if you want to cut people off, cut them off. But for me, it's more like, okay, this is where we are. Cool. 
I'm going to give that back to you too. I'm not going to question myself. This isn't a me thing. It's like what you said to me um, a while ago. We were talking about something and you're like, you know, Keisha, like you have to remember like you're not for everyone and that's okay. And I've really been carrying that. And I know in friendships, it's a bit different. Like not to say I'm not for all my friends, but it's just like, you can't control how other people, what the energy other people give you. You control what you give to them, you know? Yeah. So just be mindful of that. And, and I think... If it's not reciprocal or if it's not mutual, then maybe I need, re- need to renegotiate this contract. Exactly. And and then also manage your expectations, you know? And, like, sometimes you really don't know what people are going through. A hundred percent. I've just been... Yeah, I've just been paying attention to that and just, like, really enjoying where I'm at and, like, prioritizing myself in, you know all my relationships where I felt like I was giving too much. I'm just like, you know what? I actually don't have the time now. Like I don't, I don't have the time or the energy to be invested in relationships in the same way I used to be. So um, all around, I'm doing really well. Like I'm just, I'm just tired. Like, and I'm, I'm still adjusting to like a nine to five schedule. It's weird. Like I wake up at like, sometimes like five, six o'clock and then I'll start my day at like six 30 and I'm just not accustomed to doing that. Um, but I do like it. I like, I, I watch the sunrise a lot, which is really, really nice. So, um, yeah. So overall I'm doing pretty well. Like I'm good and I, I'm proud of like where I'm at right now and, and it's just the beginning. So we keep going. We're going to see what happens. So good for you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. What are you, do you have time for like reading and TV shows and like, what are, what are you, what's feeding you right now? What's going on in your world in that sense? Well, I'm lucky that, um, because of the way we're shooting, I have really busy periods and then periods where I have lots of time off. Mm -hmm. So I have been binge watching. Oh, fun. What have you been watching? I, I've been binge watching billions. Okay. Which I like. It's not like. A weren't show... you watching this before too oh was i yeah have we I talked I about probably... this yeah but continue. probably mm-hmm. i probably had just started it and now i'm finally on like season five and it's good like filler for me when i just want to watch something i'm like okay this is a story i've been following yeah but what's really feeding me girl is a little show called lupin oh my god let me tell you Omar Sy. Oh, he is so fine. He is so fine. (laughs) Give me some of that. Omar Sy. His smile, his charm. He is like, like, I love that show because, you know, my family's from Mali. Mm -hmm. I have so many family members in Paris, in France. And the story of his character, Hassan Diop, is like the stories of so many of the men in my family or people that I, I know. Growing up, I would go to France in the summer and I would see these men, mm-hmm. see these family members in Paris, how they were treated. And um, I feel like it does such a great job of of highlighting the experience of, you know, West African men in Paris and mm. how invisible they feel, but that's also his superpower. And I find it beautiful. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just absolutely in love with the show. I, I mean, if you think too hard when you watch it, you might find a few plot holes, yeah. <laughs> but we're not doing that. We're just enjoying it for what it is. Uh-huh. It's, it's exciting and it's 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 I love the characters. I love yeah, I, I don't know, I love the whole thing and it's it's got charm, it's got class, it's got style. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of something from almost like a different time period. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I um uh my stepdad had been watching it like a couple months ago and I was just kind of popping in and out of his room while he was watching it and I was just like very intrigued. So I kind of know what happened, sort of. Um, but I would need to give it my full attention. I just haven't had any, any time to watch anything like new. Oh, do, do yeah, I'm going to full attention because it to. is, it's just, it's just nice. It's mm-hmm. like what I think TV should be like. 
Mm. Like it's, it captures the essence of what I think I'm always looking for when I watch a show. Oh, wow. This is getting a very, very high praise from you. Yeah. Okay, we're adding yeah. this. We're going to we're going to do this. We're going to do But I think it. the way where they keep it sh- the the series short and sweet, mm-hmm. like they're not doing 22 episodes, they're not doing 10 episodes. How long is I it? Think, I think the first season was like 4 episodes. Is it Each a, episode's about 45 minutes? Is it a Netflix show or is it a show that Netflix is licensed from? It's a Netflix show. Okay. And it's Netflix's most popular foreign television show, I think. Interesting. Okay, so we're gonna watch this show. We're gonna we're gonna do it. And I feel like I've said on the show many times I'm gonna watch things that you recommend, but I'm actually gonna watch this one because I've wanted to and I just haven't had the time to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Like I know, I know. Again, TV shows getting high praise for me means a lot because you're not a huge TV person, so you know. Yeah, it's hard for me to follow stories, but. Yeah. Um, I think right now, um, because I'm so lonely, because uh, in Manitoba, COVID has been really bad. So there's still a lockdown and you yeah. know, I'm not, I don't really have friends here other than my coworkers. So, you know, TV is mm-hmm. my friend now. I'm curious to hear, what are you watching? What are you reading? What is going on in your big mind? Um. So watching, have you heard of that show on Netflix? Um. Hold on. It's called... Uh, love death robots it's like Girl, a bunch of i binge watched it the first night it came out I was, it's I was, really good i, love I loved it. it it was so good like i think i still have a couple more episodes but like so good i watched that recently and i just i so what had happened is um i was watching someone else was watching it and then i was like what is this and then i ended up kind of like falling asleep through half of one of the episodes and then i rewatched it again and like I was hooked. It was just, it's so good. And I, I wish all of them were longer. Like, I was like, wait, that's it. We're done. And then the next one came. I was like, oh, oh, but now I'm into this story. Like, so good. Such like a great little like palate cleanser when you just want to watch something to be intrigued. You don't want to invest too much. You know what I mean? And it's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, so I want to finish it. So creative. Like, so, so, so creative. Um, So I've watched that recently. I caught up with My Hero Academia. So I'm now, I think I have like two more episodes of this season. It's so good. I'm, I'm like really enjoying it. Um, For those who watch <laughs> it, it's like class 1A and 1B, like fighting against each other. Well, not fighting, but they're doing these like exercises against each other. So like you see everyone's powers and then there's a whole other storyline that I'm so intrigued by. I'm, I'm really happy with this season. I'm reading uh, Dr. Bailey's book. Um, on massage noir and it's intense and really great and if you guys haven't picked that book up yet or you know even heard about it go check it out and you should read it because it's very good Um, I've been reading it like quite slowly because it's kind of a lot to take in Mm -hmm. but I'm learning a lot and um, it's very inspiring like to hear about the work of just to have a a piece that's like a compilation of so many different a compilation of references of so many different um you know forms of resistance and as much as you're learning about these negative elements of the way black women are treated and why you're also learning about how we're actively working against that you know yeah. so it's really great um just a little bit heavy and um sounds empowering yeah it is empowering to a degree like it is um but yeah that's kind of what I've been doing I honestly haven't had as much time to watch stuff as regularly as I would have liked like I have I've started I told I think I've talked about the affair on this show before we've talked about it right I think you have yeah yeah so I've been like kind of (laughs) I told myself I would watch it to the end but it's getting really hard to stay invested in the show that is five seasons but should have been three max (laughs) like I'm on season four and I'm like how like it's it's become a soap opera yeah but I told but I like committed to it so I'm like I'm going to finish the show (laughs) so I'm doing it really slowly that's how I felt about money heist I haven't watched that I watched (laughs) I only watched the first two seasons but like come on I was like, by season two, I was like, how are they still in there? <laughs> Get the man's out. Let's go. 
<laughs> there are just some shows that like the premise works better if it's short. And I feel like American television and well, North American TV doesn't understand that rule as much as Europeans do. I know. They'll make a series and it's one and it's done. And they're like, no, we told the story. We're done. The affair is one of those stories that like it's about an affair. But like, how are we five years after? Like, I, I can't. Not even five years. It's actually longer than that at this point. I, I just I don't understand how we're still in this story. But we're here and I'm going to finish it. I'm going to see this through. So it may take to the end of the year, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay good for you we have a really great guest coming up do you want to do a little, yes. little brief intro Luna, about our guest this month we are so excited to have with us an amazing guest named Devery Jacobs she's an actor writer and filmmaker based in Toronto you may know her from tv shows such as American Gods Blood Quantum The Order or Rhymes for Young Ghouls. She's also featured in the upcoming FX TV series, Reservation Dogs. Uh, Devery is a multi-talented artist who is an active voice for Indigenous and LGBTQ plus issues. And we are so honored to have her on the show today. Welcome, Devery. Devery and I met, I feel like it was like in 2016 when we did a short film. Yeah, we did a short film called The Choir that was um, sort of like a visual piece to go with, um, what's the name of the musician again? It was Division. (laughs) Yeah, Division. Oh, they're Um, a great group. Oh, that's fun. Is that beautiful for people? I want to see it. I think it was on YouTube, but um, we had a lot of fun, and um, that's where we first connected. Um, and I think you had just cut your hair. Yeah, it was like around uh, maybe like the year after I had cut my hair to a pixie. But yeah, that was like the first time we had met each other, and also it was like my first time really working in Toronto outside of like film festival stuff and things like that. But working on that short film, I saw how like there was such a community of artists of color and like BIPOC artists in Toronto, and I was like, holy shit, I need to be a part of this. And it was during that short that I was like, I think I need to move to Toronto. It's funny too, Muna, because before even you, um, like I, this is my first time meeting you, Devery. But Muna has been saying your name for us to do something with you for Collective Culture for literal years. Like, do you remember that, Muna, from, from CCMTL? We had, you, you put Devery's name up. Like, I've been hearing your name so much for the past, like, five years. So it's so amazing to have you on this podcast finally and getting to chat with you today. Very excited. Yeah, thank you so much. I don't know how you describe yourself, Devery, but I feel like you are one of those quintessential multi-hyphenates where not only are you excelling as an actor but you have all these other creative exploits and you are engaged socially and politically so I feel like you have a lot to to say (laughs) and um, I'm just grateful that we have the opportunity to give you a platform to do it. Yeah thank you so much and uh, yeah I consider myself to be an actor and a filmmaker and very much a, a collaborator in all of the projects that I do. So yeah, appreciate you reaching out and giving me the platform. Also had to listen to a couple episodes that you guys had. And uh, I'm just like a big fan of everything that that y'all are doing. And also just like a fan of Muna's like fangirling on the side and always commenting on your Instagram and stuff. So glad that we were able to make this podcast work. <laughs> you're you're so sweet. Um, so for our audience members who may not know you and may not be familiar with your work, um, do you want to give a little recap over like, you know, how you got started acting and how you found yourself to where you are today? For sure. So I grew up in Gahnawage, Mohawk territory. Uh, I am Ganyet Gehaga. Um, and yeah, I guess my, my original start was at the Turtle Island Theater Company on my reserve. And um, I always knew that I wanted to be an actor. That was always something that uh, that I had dreamed of. But, like, I was a kid on the res. I was also, like, an Anglophone kid in a French province. And I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm ever going to be able to make this work as a career or that I'll ever be able to do this. Um, 
And so even though I had done a couple projects here and there as a teenager, uh, I decided to, um, if I couldn't pursue my first passion of acting in a film and TV, then I wanted to uh, help Indigenous people. And so I ended up uh, studying to be a counselor. I went to John Abbott College uh, and I studied youth and adult correctional intervention, which I didn't want to be a corrections officer. Let's get that clear. Uh, but I did want to work maybe as a social worker uh, or work in maybe rehabilitation centers. But first and foremost, it was about um, helping Indigenous people. And so I was working at the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal when I was cast in my first leading role in a, a feature film called Rhymes for Young Fools, which ended up changing everything for me. Um, and that was when I was like, I knew I, knew I couldn't do anything else with my career. And so I dove back into acting um, and successfully at first uh, as working actors usually experience, um, but eventually found some traction and what I'm hoping to do and what I'm, what I'm trying to do uh, moving forward with my career is combining my passion for indigenous rights and indigenous activism uh, with my love for film and TV and uh, combining those two paths moving forward. Wow, that's amazing. I am so curious about how you've managed to also integrate whatever you learned in your post high school education into what you do now. Like, like, do you find yourself referencing books that you read and like, possibly like modalities that you learned when you're going to work, specifically when you're working with other Indigenous people? I think it because I didn't attend any formal theater school, I didn't receive any formal training until I guess like the Canadian Film Center a little a, a couple of years later, but even that was like a like a five month program. Um, and so a lot of the work that I do as an actor, but also as a writer and director and producer is based on my own experiences, the experiences of my community and like my first short film stolen was very much uh, a part uh, was very much based on uh, things that I was witnessing uh, being exposed to, to that world. My first short film was about like this 14 year old girl who you follow her in her last 24 hours as she runs away from her group home before she lands on the list of missing and murdered indigenous women. And that's affected my own community in Gahnawage. That's also affected um, the, the Native Women's Shelter as well, um, obviously dealing with issues of domestic abuse and, and different things like that. So there was definitely a lot of influence that my life and schooling and also experiences growing up as a Ganyitgahaga woman uh, had have influenced and shaped my life uh, and my art in in many ways and yeah I would just say that that's like that's very much been a part of of my journey and also my voice as an artist and I'm curious you know you do on camera stuff you do behind camera as a director producer how do you think you know each of you occupying both of those spaces impacts your creativity what, what do you learn as a director from being an actor? What do you learn as an actor from being a director? I think from being an actor who's also worked behind the camera, it just puts into perspective that it's not all about you, the actor. There's actually a huge team that's involved with creating a project. And it just put everything into perspective for me and in being a, a collaborator, being a team member, uh, making sure that we're working together so that everybody can get through the day and get the job done. Uh, so there was that aspect of, of um, being an actor who's also worked behind the camera, but I think it's also given me such influence in like understanding story where you're, you're, I'll always say like I, as an actor, I'm a collaborator who is willing to help other people tell their story versus when I'm behind the camera then I'm like, this is very much a passion project and this is my baby. Mm -hmm. And I always find it so much more vulnerable to watch my work on screen and sharing it with a with an audience at a premiere or at a screening when it's directing work or writing or producing versus when it's acting because they're my words, because it's my message and I'm conveying everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's, they're, they're 
while they're different aspects, they undoubtedly support each other um, no matter what medium I'm doing. And, and even in directing, I've in my short films and stuff, I've worked a lot with non-actors or people who are newly coming into, into the industry or coming into their own. And um, that's also given me such insight in like every department. I think I... Yeah, I'm like, my serving jobs have also come in handy. Me working yeah. at my cousin's cigarette store and the res has also come in handy. It's just like an amalgamation of all of the different life experiences that you live coming together Yeah. Uh, in you having to speak every language of every department. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting what, what you say too about everything kind of coming together as one. To me, when I hear people speak about their creative journey and and that sentiment is there, it affirms that you know, they're doing the right thing because sometimes it feels like when you do one thing, it's very distant from this. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're at one point, you're like, wait, all those things I did before actually have helped me be where I am right now. And it, and it sounds like that's what's happened with you, you know? So it usually, it's usually an indicator that you're on the right path. And it's, it's so wonderful to be speaking to someone who actually, like Luna said at the beginning, who excels in all the things you do. Like it's, you know, as long as you just, you, you excel in one thing, it's everything. You're great at everything. So (laughs) I appreciate you. I appreciate you. <laughs> I have a question. Um, was there a point ever in your career where you made um, uh, a specific intention to work on specific projects? Like for me, for instance, in I think it was 2017, I had a moment where I was like in a black bookstore and I was like, I want my resume to look like the shelves of this bookstore. I want my work to be completely reflective of like um, my desire to sell black, tell black stories and work with black people. And from there, I sort of created my own um, boundaries around what I will and won't do. And so I'm wondering for you um, as someone who is so passionate about the communities you identify with, if you ever had that specific moment in your career and like what that means to you today and if that's something that like how do you negotiate that right um so funny you're talking about black novels and things like that I feel like I've gotten so many book recommendations from you where I always turn to your Instagram for book recommendations by black authors uh and I love that that's been a part of you shaping your career I feel also I feel also similarly I I love stories no matter what the medium is. And I'm also like a really big uh, vision boarder where every every uh, new year for, for us, like us, we call it midwinter, uh, which is usually like mid-January, which is the Gonyakahaga New Year. Um, I'll, I'll create a vision board and I'll just like take all the magazines I got from the past year and compile it. And looking back at some of the some of the work that I or like some of the artists or the different projects that I have put on my vision board have actually like come to fruition and me and some friends have joked about how it's like my Mohawk magic that I'm I'm manifesting it and making it happen and so some of those have been like American Gods which I know you also worked on and like you had a huge storyline and and um got to be a part of that but the, the character of Sam Blackrow, because I was such a fan of the books, or sorry, of the book uh, of Neil Gaiman's work. And yeah, I just was like, this is a indigenous, queer, college age, like sassy person. And I was just like, hello, it's me. Like, there's nobody else who can play this. I resonate with this character so deeply. And yeah, I feel like so many of the roles that I go out for are things that I've heard of or things that I've read of before that I just like, I know that there's something that connects within me to it. And um, yeah, and so that's that's very much been a, a part of my career. And there's a couple projects right now that I'm auditioning for that I've had my radar on forever. So I, I hope that some of that Mohawk magic can pull through and uh, that I can be a part of it. But it's very much, yeah, trusting my values and also with every decision that I make I I consider my community I consider my dada my grandmother back home and and whether or not it would be a project that I would like to share with my community and and walking with my community and making it I love that 
have you ever been in, in a position where you have auditioned or done a project and then realize like, no, this isn't in alignment with me or this isn't in alignment with what I want to represent? I would say typically it's been when I'm in the audition process that I'll, my gut will kind of fire off. Uh, there's definitely some, there's a like a project in the past where I look at it and I'm like, this doesn't align with what I'm trying to do. Um, but for the most part, it's mostly when I'm auditioning or when I'm reading a character. I remember there was one project that I was approached for and it was basically like a really stereotypical Pocahontas character who didn't even have her own agency or like storyline. And it was all around this like white dude, John Smith kind of character. And I like had to sit my former agent down, not not the agent that we share, Muna. <laughs> um, but I had to sit my agent down and um, be like, hey, if I'm going to do a sex scene, it's not going to be in buckskin. It's not going to be back in the day. It's not going to be like some Pocahontas story. If I'm going to do a sex scene, it's going to be modern and it's going to be like a character who has her own agency and it's important to the storyline. Girl, I feel you on that. I... I- I have had the same conversation in regards to like slave narratives and like portraying like black trauma on screen or like the exploitation of like black women bodies. Like I just, Mm. there's so much of it out there already. I don't need to do that. And I don't feel like it's, it's storytelling that my community needs more of. I'm curious, like you both as actors, you know, You've been doing it for quite some time. Was there a point in time when you weren't comfortable with taking a stance on that? Like, did you have to develop that as a skill? A hundred percent. I think that, I mean, in university, I was very much politicized because I majored in Caribbean studies and I minored in African studies. And you kind of get hip to the damage that white supremacy causes real quick when you're in those programs. Um, But my attitude was always that I wasn't going to draw a line or really speak out until I felt like I had a big enough platform where if there was pushback or blowback, I could still stand on my own. Mm. Because I think that if you're a nobody and, well, this was my attitude at the time. I felt like, you know, who am I to be fighting this system while being within it? And I'm only going to cut myself off from having access to other opportunities if I speak out now. Whereas if I put my head down and I work hard and I, you know, build my network, build my relationships, build my community, I will have more support and a bigger audience to reach if and when I do choose to make a stand. That was, that was my attitude. What about you, Devery? I think because I grew up in my community and like, my community is so inherently political where like I grew up in the legacy of the 1990 Oka crisis where everybody was just like ready to throw down a blockade if need be. And so I think there was um there was almost like a little bit of a defiance that I carried wherever I went when I was outside of my community and in these different spaces that if it touched on something that I wasn't comfortable with, I was very... um. I guess, uh, yeah, defiant would be would be the word uh, where I wanted to like prove how wrong that was or how people should know better. And then I think following that, I I I think I took a step back and was like, well, actually, like the Canadian industry doesn't teach anybody any of these things, and. I became I then after that I went the the opposite direction of taking on a little bit more of an educational um tactic of taking the time to educate people and I think now I've landed somewhere in the middle where it's like it's not worth my effort or my energy to teach people unless they're the right people or it's not worth my energy to get upset about it I'm just like trusting that I'm on my journey and that I'm trusting that I need to take the steps that I need to take but I've kind of been on like both ends of of the spectrum in my time in this industry. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's such a process, right? Really like you, you kind of, as you evolve and change your, your energy and what you're able to give something will shift, you know, and your priorities in terms of 
you know, am I going to be the educator? Am I just going to be uplifting people at this point? It shifts, you know? Absolutely. Um, so on the note of, of your community and, um, you know, your, your character in uh, Sam Black Crow and American Gods, you know, that's somebody that we were not used to seeing on, on television, like an indigenous queer person. Um, so I'm curious, what was the response that you got from the indigenous queer community, uh, you know, having seen themselves in that context? Did you did you get the chance to speak with people about it? What was the reception that you received? Honestly, I don't know that that role and that character or project ended up being for Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I think it was more for Western and widespread audiences to get a glimpse into Indigenous, queer, and two-spirit folks. Um, I think... I think some of the work that's moving forward now, even like when I was a part of Canada Reads this this year and I defended the book Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead, and he's a, a two-spirit indigo-queer author and it was following a two-spirit indigo-queer sex worker. And that, just the, the feeling of that being by that community, for that community, and also such a specific aspect and, and queer community within that community um that made all of the difference and and that's why I was like such a such a huge champion and fan of Joshua's writing and his book and I think that was the element and project that um ended up really resonating with two-spirit and indigenous queer folks uh which obviously makes sense <laughs> I mean I'm still very yeah. grateful for uh for Neil Gaiman and I'm still grateful for all of the work that I was able to do on American Gods um, but yeah, I think for indigenous queer and two spirit people, like it's, it's gotta come from us. Mm, yeah. There, there is a distinction though. Like you, there is a distinction between something being for the community and something being for those outside of it. So it's an important distinction to make. And that, that makes complete sense. I love that term indigenous queer. <laughs> I will, if it is appropriate, use it in a sentence. Um, oh I think so I think it depends on how the people identify like it's up to individuals totally um but everything that you're you're talking about sort of leads to my next question which is about your experience working on reservoir dogs if you're allowed to talk about it uh it's a play on reservoir dogs but it's actually reservation dogs oh sorry (laughs) and um (laughs) reservation dogs excuse me (laughs) You're good. You're good. It's a nod to that film by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yes, I realized that. I feel like that was like a, a Freudian slip or, a, <laughs> you know, when your brain like like because I've seen the images from um, some of the publicity images and obviously I've made that connection. Um, but I'm I'm really curious about what that experience was like for you um, in you know, was it the first time that you were able to work with, you know, a, on a project that had such a strong Indigenous presence? And from what I understand, from many different nations? Yeah, so um, I remember back in uh, 2012 when we shot Rhymes for Young Ghouls, and it was my first time working with an Indigenous writer-director, and, and that was the film that ended up being my breakout. It was the first uh, role that I had played a lead in and I was like, oh, this is what the industry is going to be now. Like if I'm pursuing this full time, this is this is uh, the norm. And it ended up being an exception uh, because the industry well, like that. It was an anomaly. There are no indigenous directors out there or writers or community members. And so it ended up being um a really long slog of working of being like the only indigenous person for miles let alone indigenous queer person um working on set and so when reservation dogs came along um it it was such a such a wild moment where it was like not only what were all of the directors or all of the writers room and all of the core cast indigenous i looked around and it was nearly in every department had indigenous folks in key creative positions um and so it was the first time ever in my career that I felt like 
we were on an indigenous set and had welcomed non-indigenous uh, crew members and cast members into our space. Because so often like camera crews and technicians and and grips and all of these people are not native. Like they're they're usually just like white dudes. Um, yeah. And it was emotional. There's a scene in the pilot where we're having a memorial for our friend who passed away. And it felt like a space where we were able to like collectively mourn and celebrate our losses and our victories and being there and the fact that it was us telling our story so it was just like I was a blubbering mess at the end of it after the end of the pilot after the end of the shoot for the entire season uh it just it meant so much and it was also like an amalgamation of all of our experiences from different walks of life where uh we're all from different nations we're all from different parts of turtle island there's queer indigenous people there's trans indigenous people non-binary indigenous people on set working on that there's afro-indigenous folks uh and light-skinned folks uh including myself and like for all of us to be able to work on that set together and and I don't know bring our aspects even though we're playing uh specifically from that part of the world it was just such uh it was just such like an overdue moment, to be honest. <laughs> wow, that sounds absolutely incredible. The project that I'm working on now is the blackest project that I've ever done. You know, we have black directors, black hair team, uh, black producers, black writers, and the kind of, you don't realize how much you diminish yourself or alter yourself when you're working on a non-black or non-whatever set until you work on something that is like with your community and of your community, I think. Honestly. Like the kind of relaxation I have in my body, how I feel about talking to just everybody on set, the way that like the community on set feels is just so starkly different to many of the other sets that I've been on and I do think it's partially because it's like there's a, a kind of safety because we all know what it means we all know like the precedent we're trying to set we all know like like we value it differently because it is so uncommon mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think um even a show I was on recently it was something similar and just having a you know people of color around you all the time it, it changes the dynamic and now that I'm, I work in more of a corporate setting and I'm, you know, I still have people of color around me, but I'm reminded of how fortunate I was in those spaces. And it changes the kind of art that you make too, you know? Um, so, so Devery, I have a, a question for you. You know, you work as an actor, director, producer, um, and in this industry you face, you know, we all face so much rejection. How do you deal with that? When dealing with rejection, usually I, I'll say like, I need a day to just like feel sorry for myself and to like sit around and mope and binge something on Netflix and like eat some junk food and cry into my feelings and all of that stuff. And then after that, I'm like, okay, I can pick myself <laughs> up and I can move on and I got stuff to do. So like I have to continue on with my life, but I'll, I'll create the space for myself where I can feel the morning of that loss and then I'll move on with my life and usually I'll look back at it and um and I see that it wasn't meant for me that it was for whatever region reason a bullet I dodged or uh was really meant for another person yeah I'm so curious about how like y'all deal with rejection also yeah Muna how do you deal with rejection so I always tell people I feel like my life is a meditation on rejection for multiple reasons because <laughs> not only in like work do I deal with rejection I've had like or I felt like I've experienced a lot of rejection like in my childhood and stuff so I think I don't really see it as rejection so much as like the universe just redirecting me towards what is meant for me mm -hmm. um I believe that if something is meant for you it will find you mm. and um you know I do have to lick my wounds sometimes and I get really bummed out but it also like, I also have moments where I'm like, okay, so let this empower me to find what is right for me. I don't know though. Like 
I feel like the older I get, the more obvious it is when something is for you or it isn't for you. Yeah. And I like, I just don't, I don't really crave things that I feel aren't for me. Like I, I've gotten, I think really good at just letting auditions go or letting things go and just being like, okay, on to the next. Mm -hmm. And I think I also have a lot of things that fill my cup outside of the industry. Mm -hmm. That's so so I don't, I don't dwell on rejection as much. Like I have like lots of little cousins to take care of. (laughs) I have books that I love to read and things that I want to write. Like I have things that choose me. Mm, And I think that there's an imbalance in this industry where if you're, I mean, there can be an imbalance in this industry where like, you know, you can love the industry and you can give everything to it, but it won't necessarily like reflect back to you the kind of love that you give it. So I think it's important to sort of have an agreement with yourself about how much you're going to give the industry and what parts of you you're going to give it. Wow. I love that. That was a good answer. Yes. (laughs) I like mine. I don't even know how to follow that. I I think for me, it's it's actually something that Muna said to me a few, maybe now a month ago. Um, We're having a conversation and I'd ask somebody something and I was like, should I follow up? Like, what should I do? And Muna's like, Keisha, you have to understand that you're not for everyone and that's okay. And for some reason, like I've heard this before. It was just the context, the way it was said to me. It's just really been sticking with me. And that's how I've, at least recently, I always remind myself of that, that, you know, kind of what you both are saying, it's not, you're not for everyone, not everything is for you, and the things that are meant to be for you will come to you. Um, but, you know, I love that that sentiment, Muna, about, like, giving the industry certain parts of yourself and also having stuff outside of it. I, too, have a lot of stuff. So recently, I've been able to kind of transfer my energy to things when I don't get the thing I want, per se. Um, but, Yeah. That was That's a really huge. good response, you know? yeah. yeah, that was a yeah. killer response. I know. That's so good. Oh, man. I <laughs> I used to, like, have so much of my self-worth wrapped up in whether or not I booked a job. And I'm like, little Gawanaherde, little Devry, that's so unhealthy. What were you doing? But um, <laughs> now I try and look at it and, like, I'll have a saying where I'm just, like, when I do a self-tape or whatever, no matter how much I want the role, I'm just, like, you know, I'm just showing them my flavor of ice cream. And sometimes they're not in the mood for that flavor of ice cream. And that's all it is. Like, they just don't want my rocky road. <laughs> yeah, they might They might want sorbet. <laughs> A fruity sorbet. Yeah. Wait, Devery, what's your, what's your sign? <laughs> what's my sign? Uh, I'm a Leo. I'm, I'm a Leo moon. Yeah. Um, or, or sorry, I'm a Leo Sun, a uh, Aries Moon, and a Cancer Rising. Oh wow! wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> I'm um I'm a Scorpio. I'm very much a Scorpio, but I am a Gemini Rising, and I have a Taurus Moon. Ooh! I'm a Taurus Sun, Leo Moon, and Cancer Rising. We have some overlap here. We definitely have some overlap. Yeah, I like this. I like this. <laughs> um, okay, I want to ask you something before we kind of get to the fun would you rather's and things like that. I wanna. I read your Refinery Twenty Nine essay on um, Indigenous people and the use of humor. I loved it. Uh, what was the inspiration you. for that piece? Refinery29 had approached me with the idea to write about Indigenous joy for Indigenous People's History Month and Indigenous People's Day. And I thought that was so necessary, especially with everything that's coming to light in the news with like the children's bodies that have been found at residential schools. Um I don't know. Honestly, anything that's brought to light in the news Mm -hmm. regarding like our communities is never usually a positive thing. Um, It's just it's definitely been a heavy time in regards to our history and remembering it and honoring it and basically letting people know who who didn't know of it before, even though we've known of this history forever. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been a heavy time. And so. I feel so fortunate to have been a part of like not one but two indigenous comedies and and I also thought it was just so fitting that the first shows and series that are out there by indigenous showrunners are comedies 
because that's so reflective of our communities and how we actually cope with things. Like growing up in my community, and and I mentioned this in the article that my mom says, like, well, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. So you better laugh it off. And it's been such a healing mechanism. I'm convinced that that's how we've survived 500 years of genocide and colonization is by leaning on each other in our communities and also like by laughing it off and making fun of everything and there's like no topic that's too dark to for us to joke about and uh and I just wanted to honor my aunties and my cousins and my sisters and my dudas my grandmothers and and write an article an essay about indigenous humor and and how we've leaned on that and what that looks like moving forward and and also how we have like some really fire fucking indigenous meme accounts. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'm going to have to check out some of those accounts. <laughs> Unless they're not for me. Maybe they're not. I think there's some that you'd still be able to appreciate. It's interesting. I'm out here in Winnipeg and um, this city has a large indigenous population and I feel for the first time I'm in a city where I'm kind of immersed in indigenous culture. Like, you know, walking in the street, there's so much graffiti that's reflective of like what's going on for indigenous people. Yesterday I was walking in the park and I, I, I saw a group of indigenous people doing, um, I think it bell dancing. I'm not, I'm not sure what it's called, but they were in beautiful mm. costumes dancing and they were just, doing it for themselves and just things that I'm not used to seeing in, you know, Toronto or LA. And it's been really nice. So it was, it was nice to see indigenous joy. Yeah. I've never actually been to, to Winnipeg yet. And something that I've explained to people is like in Toronto or like whatever major city I'm in that's not that doesn't have such a huge indigenous population is like I always feel like I'm carrying something like carrying a responsibility and that I that I am educating versus like when I'm in Kahnawake when I'm on my reserve and I'm just surrounded by indigenous people that I can just be that I can just like have a good time and I can take this like backpack of responsibilities off my shoulder and I can just exist and it's yeah, it, from what I've heard from other places, while there's so much, um, while there there's so much negativity and also like a lot of issues happening in Winnipeg, I've also heard that it's a really beautiful place. So soak it up. I am. I am. There's indigenous restaurants I want to try. Hell I'm yeah. Excited. On that note, Devry, like you mentioned, you know, being at home with your family is some is a way that you can kind of take off that backpack of responsibility what what else do you do to take care of yourself like what does your self-care practice look like um part of my refueling will be going to my community another part will be finding kinship and community with other indigenous queer indigenous queer and two-spirit folks that's another component of myself that that finds that sense of ease and and replenishing and refueling um but then when I'm on my own and by myself I love to cook I love to cook for myself I love to cook for my partner um friends family members that's just something where it's like it almost feels meditative because you literally can't focus on anything else at that time or something will burn (laughs) and I just I love food and I that's that's a way that I'll like physically take care of myself every night but also like emotionally take care of myself when I'm away on location or something I'll always try and find an Airbnb or someplace with a kitchen so I can at least settle my night by cooking myself some food and can take that minute oh okay what's your go-to right like what are you cooking a lot right now I'm trying to cook some healthy stuff. I was shooting in Oklahoma, shooting reservation dogs for a long time. So I had a lot of barbecue food. I had a lot of great soul food. (laughs) And so I'm trying to lighten it up a little bit by eating some like vegan and vegetarian dishes. Um, Mm. But I think some of my favorite, um, one of my favorite dishes is either some like tortilla soup that I make with like some... um, like scotch bonnets in there and some like jalapeno cheese with some tortillas and lime and cilantro I'll do that or I love to make like homemade gnocchi 
with like Ooh. a cream sauce. Those are like my comfort food dishes, but I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it a little lighter. Ooh, that sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> so you cook too. Wow, another thing to add. All right. Um well, before we move on, Moon, is there anything else you want to ask? I want to get to No, the let's get into the let's get to the would you rather. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um you want to go first, Muna? Would you rather take a vow of silence or a vow of celibacy? A vow of silence? That includes masturbation. I always have to get with the messy questions first, eh? <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, a vow of silence or a vow of celibacy? Honestly, I think I would do I think I would do celibacy for reasons that I don't feel like I need to get into. <laughs> okay. Okay. I love that. I think I would do a vow of silence because I would just learn how to speak through um, sign language. I mean, get it, you Scorpio. <laughs> I know, right? I would, yeah, I'd be like, I like imagining myself sitting on someone's face signing. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luna, you're funny. Um, I would. I agree. I take. I do the celibacy. I. 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 I couldn't do that. I couldn't not talk. I couldn't. It would be very hard. Um, uh, okay, so would you rather control fire or water? I would rather control water. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of, like, Avatar The Last Airbender, and so I always thought that I'd be a waterbender, even though I think in truth I would be an airbender. But, yeah, I would love to to be able to control water because then at least you can, like, put out the fires and stuff. Okay, fair. Luna? Yeah, I would love – I would, like, always be riding a surfboard. I like, like, if I made an entrance, I'd just be riding waves everywhere. Like, that'd be dope. Yeah, that's true. There's, I feel like you can do more with water. Like you can kind of like control rain. You could, you can't control the weather. If you could control water, if someone thinks you could just. <laughs> oh my god! How are you? Okay, you have to pick the next question. Okay. Okay. So, would you rather be able to read someone's mind or control their mind? Uh, I don't want that kind of power. I'd like to read minds and that's about it. What about you? Yeah, read minds for sure. I feel like controlling someone's mind is so manipulative and coercive. It could only lead to evil. Only, At least with only me. it could lead to evil. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it'd just be a lot of, that's exactly what I say. Like, it's just a lot of power. Like, what would you do then? It'd kind of make life not fun because you couldn't actually know what people would want to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just be like, oh, I'm in control of everything because I can control what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's just a lot of power. Honestly, though, like, I don't know. I, I've also been going to therapy for like the past four years and had some like great breakthroughs during the pandemic just because we're all like sitting alone with ourselves. And I'm like, this is probably wrong, but I feel like I can already read people's minds with people who haven't gone to therapy and they just like their body language will mm. tell me how they're feeling first and foremost anyway. Mm. <laughs> Very like emotionally involved. I mean, people uh, will expose themselves. They will. They will. What's the word? Emotional intelligence. Your emotional intelligence is very high from therapy. It gives like a superpower kind of. She also the has Mohawk magic. Me. And Mohawk magic. <laughs> magic. Got a lot of things going for you. Um, okay, this is a kind of a silly one. So, would you rather randomly time travel t- 10 to 20 years every time you fart? <laughs> or teleport to a different place on Earth every time you sneeze. It'd only be on land, though. So, okay, let me ask a question one more time. It's confusing. Would you rather time tra- travel 20 years ahead or 20 years behind every time you fart or teleport to a different place on Earth, only on land, not water, whenever you sneeze? Uh, I would teleport. I would teleport. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just... Also, like, with the pandemic and having to travel and stuff, I'm like, this is so much if traveling wasn't already such a process enough. So I'm like, I don't know. I'd throw some, like, pepper in my nose every time I needed to get someplace is what I would do. <laughs> Let's see where I end up. <laughs> yeah, I, I fart a lot and I fart in my sleep. I would find it horrifying <laughs> to, like, let out some gas and then, like, wake up, like, and have, like, a child. Oh my god. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see the future. That's scary to me. 
That would be really disturbing to me. I just like fuck. <laughs> you fart and then you have a kid, and you're like, "Wait, who are you?" Oh my god, that's funny. And why are you talking back to me? No, this is not my life. This no. is not. This is not what I wanted. You <laughs> just sign up for this. Okay, we have one more movie. You pick the last one. Really? Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't think this is a great one, but okay. Would you rather have emotional? chemistry or physical chemistry with a partner uh i just I don't see why you can't have both well I that's mean, what the game is for muna right okay fine. <laughs> choose one please obviously physical chemistry is important um but i i'm a person where i'm just like if i'm emotionally attracted to you then i'm just like completely attracted to your being uh no matter the form that it's in so for me i'm all about like the emotional attraction a hundred percent. I feel the exact same way. Like I feel physical chemistry to me is a much smaller slice of the pie. I feel like it kind of comes with it. If like what you said, Debbie, like if you're emotionally attracted to someone that kind of comes with it. Uh, but it's funny because I did these questions. So um, how we started doing this on the podcast before, well, before we started, I used to put them on my Instagram stories and I do the polls so I could see right. who would pick what. And like people expose themselves. Like I'm sure some <laughs> of the people who answered are listening right now, but they expose themselves. And this one was actually like 50 50. And I was really surprised. Wow. Yeah. Like I was like, okay, so y'all like, all right, okay. And then I like saw who picked what and I was like, okay, okay. But interesting. Right? Duly noted. It like a, yeah, it was a little experiment, but I, I agree with you guys. I think emotional, emotional. What was it? Connection is the one I'd want. Or chemistry. Chemistry. That's what I'd want. I think it's all of our horoscopes overlapping, though. I think it's like <laughs> yeah. all of that sensitive energy that we all got. It's true. It's true. It's true. Agreed. 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 Well, Devery, <laughs> thank you so much. This was such a lovely conversation. I wish we could talk to you longer. Um, and we know you're busy, so we really appreciate you being coming on the show today. And um, congratulations on all of the things that you're yeah. doing, everything of coming up. Um, it's it's so awesome. Like, round of applause for you. If we had, like, an audience, we'd make everybody clap right now. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. It was uh, so nice catching up with you, honestly. Um, I would love to see you in real life, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I'm wishing you the best, and I'm always watching you. Um, <laughs> literally. I'm always watching <laughs> <laughs> okay great to know that i'm not the only creep in this uh i will also creep you back but thank you so much for having me on this it's been so much fun and yeah Muna, when you're back from winnipeg like we gotta meet irl i know patios are open now so we'll have to we'll have to do that but yes yamakoa thank you so much for having me such a lovely interview i am so grateful that we have the time to talk to some of these amazing guests i know me Each too one, it gets better and better with better every better. episode that was so lovely thank you so so much devery and thank you guys for tuning in always like oh i love this i love doing this with you so thank you guys and thank you to all of our guests that have come on the show um so do we have any announcements 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 i don't think so other than our monthly column in Never Parts Magazine. Um, this month's um, piece is written by Alana Chen and it is fantastic. So go check it out. Um, but I think that's it. Do you have anything you want to announce, Mina? I would like to announce that I am now a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a weird personal announcement that's not related to collective culture. What is it? Well, like I'm, I know I mentioned earlier in the show that I'm, I'm uh, working for Bell Media, but I'm also more specifically working on a new show called The Shift with Kayla Gray. That's on TSN.ca. So, like, I've been doing some segments and stuff and interviewing people. So, if you guys want to go check that out, like, do that because it's been really fun. And um, even the stuff that I'm not hosting or interviewing people for, I've been able to produce a lot of great segments. So, go check the show out. Our producer, Anna, also works on that show. So, yeah. Anna! Anna. Yes, we will. Yeah, go do that. We will check it out. We will ch check it out. Yay. Were you going to say something? Okay. Do you have another announcement? No, nothing. Okay, cool. Well, I think we're done then. 
Yes. You guys can remember to follow me, Muna Traore, on Instagram and Twitter at underscore M-O-U-N-A-T-R-A-O-R-E. I'm not really active on either right now, but there's good archival images and content, you know? <laughs> Tons. And you can follow me. I honestly only really use Instagram at Keisha Chung, K-E-E-S-H-A-C-H-U-N-G. And you can follow Collective Culture at Collective Culture with two underscores at the end. And also, oh my God, I totally forgot about this. So in August is going to be Collective Culture's five-year anniversary. What? Yeah. What? I totally forgot about that. But yeah, I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to be that. So I'm really excited about celebrating that milestone for this organization. And um, we couldn't do any of this stuff without all you listening and without all the people like you, Muna and Anna. So thank you guys for helping build this community. Thank you for welcoming us and having us be part of it. It has been such a light in my life to contribute. Yay. Well, okay. Well, let's, let's let the people them go. (laughs) Okay. Bye guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Collective Culture Creative Conversations, the podcast, is made possible by Never Apart and Collective Culture. This podcast is produced and researched by Keisha Chung, Muna Traore, and Anna Okoto. It is edited by Anna Okoto. The music you're hearing was made by the lovely Villa Beats. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to the show. We appreciate you and your support, and we can't wait to bring you back more episodes. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month.